Hello folks, how are you? I hope this finds you safe and well and a little spring in your step, what with the sun being out for a few days, although I hear there's snow around the corner. What? Also with this slow steps towards, I guess, what is going to be the new normal life as lockdown restrictions are eased slightly. I know that it has been wonderful to reconnect with small numbers of people mostly outside, in fact, all of outside. So um, I hope that you have been enjoying reconnecting. Um, and also thank you so much for all your comments on our last few episodes of the podcast. It's so great to hear your feedback, um, what you've loved about it and what you've enjoyed. I also love hearing about who you'd like to hear on the podcast as well. So please feel free to head to edithbowman.com and there's a contact um, function up there that you can get in touch and tell us who you'd love to hear. We'd love to hear from you, so please do get in touch. I'm really excited about our new episode of the podcast um, because this is one of those films that has really stayed with me and I've gone back to watch three or four times, I think, since I saw it. And our latest guest on soundtracking is composer Emile Mossery, who has deservedly been Oscar nominated for his score to the quite beautiful Minari. Now, it's written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung, and it tells the sort of semi-autobiographical story of South Korean immigrants trying to make a new life in rural America during the 1980s. Now, it's available to watch as of today via the Altitude Film website. I'll give you the address of that towards the end of the show so you can find out for yourself why it has earned six, yes, six, Deserved Academy Award nominations. Now, we're going to be hearing plenty of Emile's music from the movie shortly, but first, a word from our good friends at Sofa.com. Now, when it comes to watching films and TV, I genuinely think one of the most important things that can enhance the experience is having the perfect sofa to snuggle up on. And that is where Sofa.com come in. A premium brand that makes beautiful, comfortable, handmade products. They are the perfect choice to help you create your perfect sofa. First, choose your ideal shape from something traditional or maybe more contemporary. Then work out the size. You'll find the perfect fit, whether the space you have is cosy or sprawling. And when it comes to fabrics, you really are spoilt for choice with hundreds of options to style things your way. But if you're finding it hard to decide, then why not order a few free swatches to match colours with your furniture or decor? What is not to love about your sofa being handmade to your specific requirements, especially for you and delivered right to your door? To find out more and begin creating your dream sofa, simply visit sofa.com. And so to Emil and his score for Minari, which is a genuinely wonderful piece of work that more than stands alone as an album. We'll begin with a cue called Garden of Eden.
are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm all right, you know, soldiering on, chugging that's, along, as they say. <laughs> that's all we can do, right? That's all exactly. we can hope Exactly. I have to say, though, you've been making that a lot more bearable with this extraordinary score that you've created for for Minari. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Uh, it's make, making my day hearing that. I mean, it works so beautifully with the film, but also just the joy of listening to it as a as a record, as an album has been amazing, actually. And that doesn't always work for for scores and soundtracks, I don't think. Yeah, well, it's great to hear that that's translating, that's landing that way. That's definitely um, definitely my intention to make something that you can listen to outside of the context of the film, you know? Yeah. How did you and, and Lee first kind of come together? How were you introduced and what was the start of this journey for this film with you both? Uh, yeah, um, actually, he, he goes by Isaac. Like, Does uh, he? Sorry. Okay, yeah. No, no worries. No, I mean, just so if I start saying Isaac, you know who exactly. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, is it Lee Isaac? Is it Lee? It's like, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's tricky. <laughs> three names. Yeah. It's like the Tommy Lee Jones thing. <laughs> I had met Isaac um, actually at the LA premiere of another film I'd scored called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yeah. Produced by the same companies, uh, Plan B and A24. So uh, some friends of mine, my friend Christina, who produced both of those films, uh, had brought Isaac and Stephen. Uh, Stephen Young, who's in Minari as well, to the Vista Theater here in LA to, to watch The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And she'd sent me Isaac's script before, a few days before that, and she'd sent Isaac some of my music. So she'd sort of been playing like matchmaker a little bit. And then <laughs> after the movie, and then uh, we discovered we were neighbors, and then we went out for lunch a few days after that, and then started talking about the film and music and next steps, you know, but yeah. We 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 hit it off, and there was this funny moment right when actually when I met him, where he got out of his car. He 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 had a big car at the time. He's a different car now, but the car didn't vibe with his personality at all. It was like, <laughs> and then I think I was nervous to meet him a little bit, even on, for a lunch date. And I like I went in for like a hug, and like immediately realized like oh this is maybe a little early for this. You know? <laughs> he was, he was, he was totally like game. He's so, he was totally game. Oh, uh, do you remember when we could hug? Do you remember when we were we could hug people? Oh, I know. Maybe I knew somehow. <laughs> I gotta get them all in while I can before this. Before now, now I do this elbow bump shit. People go for it. It's like this chicken wing thing. That I'd rather yeah. do the opposite of almost kind of just like a like a butt bump or something. Do you know what I mean? It would just it'd be. Maybe a bit too intimate for meeting people for the first time, but at least it will break the ice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what was your reaction when reading the script then? Was it kind of, was it something you kind of connected with instantly in terms of hearing what, or, or having a clear idea of, of what you wanted to create for it? Um, it was something that I, I definitely connected with immediately, just as a fan, you know, as a reader of the script, I, I, I immediately felt myself engaged and emotionally invested in these characters and like I wanted to know what was going to happen with them and I wanted it to work out for them like I was rooting for this family pretty immediately into reading the script which isn't always the case for me because I don't know I think it's like in general like it takes me a little while with books to you know and scripts to like to start caring you know I'm maybe it's a narcissistic thing where I'm thinking about other things in my life while I'm reading you know yeah 
this one pulled me in, you know, I didn't, but the second part of your question, I didn't know exactly how to, I didn't have a clear idea of what the music was going to be, you know, until I sat down at the piano and just tried, just played what, what felt emotionally right. And then I just hoped that stylistically and um, musically it would vibe with him and that he would connect to it. Cause I, I remember we, we hadn't even like finished the deal, like my, my deal or whatever to have me officially like in writing the, be the composer and they were shooting very fast. And I, that date was coming up and I was like really important to me that he had the music before they started shooting. Yeah. So I didn't want to wait to send music until that was finalized. I just like, cause I was taken by it and I was in this emotionally open place creatively. So I just, sent him a bunch of music very early and then um really grateful that and honored that he dug it and really leaned into it and used it on set wow yeah it was really special that it that it happened that way because it doesn't you never know that's really nice isn't it yeah that's so nice to think that 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 full circle of connection and emotion you know in terms of he writes the script you read it you you create something that then the cast here, he hears that influences and inspires and informs how they, how they play those characters in a way, you know, however little or however large that influenced it. And also for him in terms yeah. of how he shot the film, what a beautiful kind of circle of, of life for that journey, really. Yeah, totally. And then they, their performances inspired me further to write, to write more and to, it's like throwing this basketball of creative energy back and forth, you know. I got to go down there and visit them while they were shooting to really kind of get a sense. It was my wife's actually from Tulsa, Oklahoma, where, where they shot the film. So it was a nice way to kind of go back to her childhood home. Also, the movies about childhood memory, too. It was like a sort of childhood memory themed trip, you know. Yeah. It also just got us kind of all calibrated there's a real family around this film you know everybody between Stephen and Yeti and and Isaac and uh Lockie and Harry everybody that worked on it Christina like yeah real community around it and, mm. and not always the case how much of that music that you um 
you know that you sent him early days ended up in the final final score uh, all of it did wow <laughs> all of it was used and then i wrote it wasn't like i had to write a lot of music in addition to it but all of the music that i'd written it was like four it was like four or five suites or sketches i would call them strategically call them sketches so that it makes it less scary press the send button if you call something a sketch you know yeah yeah, yeah exactly I love, you. <laughs> yeah. If they love it they're like oh wow this is great this is just a sketch and then you're kind of fucked <laughs> but if they don't like it then you could be like oh well it's just a sketch yeah <laughs> i'm gonna start using that for sure definitely that's a great that's a great word to use yeah even from the off you know kind of when you're when you listen to the, you know, it's lovely to watch the film to then listen to the record, you know, the music, the score as a what as its own thing, just the sound of it, and then go back and watch the film again. That's a really lovely journey to have with the, oh, cool. with the kind of emotion of the the music, I think. But even from the start, you know, that the intro, it's like a. It reminded me of the first time that I went to see. I can't remember what specifically it was, but where there was an orchestra like warming up. And you have that kind of sort of excitement and that sort of sound of, you know, of different instruments and different sections of an orchestra kind of warming up. It really made me feel kind of childlike and reminded me of the first experience of that um, with, with that with that intro. And then you kind of, as you go through this beautiful score for this film, I've listened on repeat to Grandma uh, picked a good uh, a good spot. That is the oh, most cool. phenomenal piece of music. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's got such a journey to it. First of all, thank you. I'm so glad you you like that one. It's 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 one that I feel closest to. You know, it was one that I had written as a suite. You know, just because it goes to all these different sections. I had written it on this old piano. I had like I, I I tried to get a new piano, a new old piano before each score because there, there's a guy named um, Puya that lives in LA that has a, a a warehouse of a bunch of different pianos and and you can buy them from him and then trade them in for other ones and it's it's nice. Piano can kind of release some new music if it's a new sound to you. It can help inspire you. You know. Yeah. But I I had written that piece not knowing where it would go. Um, and it just went through all these different sections. And then they ended up using Harry Yoon, the, 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 the editor of this film, who's a brilliant editor and brilliant musically. And just to, as, a, as a filmmaking mind, you know, 
he had taken a piece pieces of that and put them in different places in the film in ways that I didn't expect would have expected. You know, the whole film ends with the very end of that suite. That's he placed that. And I didn't know it wasn't like a throwaway piece for me or anything. I, I felt connected to all of it, but I didn't I didn't imagine that they would that they would use that, especially in such a a, a big spot. You know, there's this big slow push in on Stephen and and Alan at the creek. And he says grandma picked a good spot. That's why I named it after that. You know, it kind of is really moving moment in the film and really encapsulates the whole what the film is about, that one shot and that line, grandma picked a good spot. Like they're referring to Minari. They're they're referring to the plant where she planted it. And Minari, like the 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 plant is about it dies in the winter and is reborn in the spring. It's about new life. It's, it has this all this baggage you know has all this meaning that's tied up in it so i remember sitting down with isaac and harry watching the very first cut of the film and they put it there and then the final note happens when the screen goes black and you know direct you know and it was like oh, i was like very moved by by the film and by the way that they decided to to use that piece and i never would have thought to do that and that's sort of the beauty of the collaboration which features Han Yuai, who plays Monica in the film as, as well. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. How did that, what was the kind of sort of conversations around that? That, that was, uh, we were like getting ready to go up to um, Skywalker where they mix the film, where they, where they dub and mix the entire film. It's like the last part of the process. One day I will get to Skywalker Ranch, one day. Yeah, it's magical. You will, for sure. Let me know, we can go for a walk. Everything I like literally every day I have everything crossed that that one day I will get to Skywalker Ranch. I've just had so many stories from so many people about how it's just got this amazing atmosphere to it and it's yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, it really does. I, I felt really lucky to be able to to go up there with everybody. But we were we were about a week out from that and we were I was struggling to find the right piece of music for the end credits. We tried different suites and things like that because it ended with grandma picks a good spot and then it's like we needed another something else after that so i had the idea to write a song i wrote the song in english and sang it and sent it to isaac um with the idea that we would translate it into korean but i i wasn't thinking about yeti singing it because i didn't i didn't know she was a singer i just knew her as, a, as this amazing actor mm. and isaac you know said well she's just got this amazing voice put me in touch with Stephanie, who's, who, who did the subtitles for the film, who was an, who's an amazing, happens to be an amazing uh, poet and lyricist, Stephanie Hong. So Stephanie translated my poem into Korean, and in doing so, she wrote a completely different poem 
she took my phrasing and the general concept, mm-hmm. but in the translation, it was reborn into this uh, completely new thing, this beautiful poem. And then Yeti was singing it, you know, from Korea, sending it to us. I think she was singing it, you know, into the iPhone, her iPhone microphone and sending us these files. And then I, I would, I put them into the song. We got it done. Like it all just like all the stars kind of aligned right before we went up to Skywalker. And I remember being up at Skywalker timing out like how fast the credits, you know, we were timing out how fast they would move so that it all timed out with the song. Building that was really kind of like by the skin of our teeth and it just worked out really, really beautifully. And I was, that's like the greatest joy of this type of work is when like so many different people touch something, you know, it's like Isaac and I and Stephanie and, and Yeti from Korea all over the world. Like it's put their hands on this one piece of music and then it finds a home at the end of this film. It's like very rewarding. <laughs> Also, is the exact it's the same melody that we hear in the beginning of the film and so it kind of bookends the film with this one mood you know the idea was that we wanted people to leave the movie theater with this feeling or but now people are you know most people are watching it at home you know but either way you know you always think about people walking out of the theater and what they're yeah the conversations and how they feel yeah yeah it's funny because i've made I'm, i've been making a list of films that throughout this whole pandemic that haven't had their moment on a big screen that I really hope that um they get the chance to you know to have a moment in a in a, in a cinema that we can go and watch it because in that kind of weird little window that we had here in the UK where cinemas opened up for I think it was two weeks or something and it was like on mass you know everybody going but because they didn't have the 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 usual flow of of new films to fill all their screens they were showing historical titles and stuff like I saw Fight Club um at the oh, cinema wow. I'd never seen it in, on a big screen before and it was such a ride it was such wow. a great experience right. yeah. yeah and so it's kind of like god this is something they should really do it you know kind of moving on is sort of think about having you know at least one screen in those kind of big multiplex of those beautiful art house where they have a couple of screens and stuff to just really celebrate film in that way absolutely i think you know i've seen a few things like that i went to see punch drunk love oh i love that film <laughs> so good yeah i'd seen it at, at brooklyn academy of music with john bryan and, and an orchestra
You've got to come across when it all opens up. You've got to kind of come across the UK and and the the film play like at the Barbican, and you can play the score live. I saw I saw Moon actually just before lockdown at the Barbican, and and Clint had and they played the score live to Moon. It was whoa, Sam Rockwell, the 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 um... yeah, Duncan Jones and Sam Rockwell. Yeah, yeah, it was phenomenal. I love that film. Yeah, I have a funny story about that film actually. I went with my sister and um, my good friend, and my sister had a crush on my friend. She was much younger than us. She had a crush on my friend, and uh, I got a while we're in the way of the movie theater. I got a call. I taught piano lessons at the time, and my student was like, "Where are you? You're supposed to be here." And I realized, "Oh shit! I I I messed this up." No. I had to go teach a lesson. And I left my I left the two of them together. <laughs> And, and my sister t- later on told me the minute that I said that she was like, yes. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and they went to see Moon. And they went to see Moon. And uh, they were like, he, she was a lot younger and nothing. She, she didn't have a shot. But she was like, uh, you know, it's kind of a scary movie, too. So she was like, kind of like, like holding his arm a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was brilliant. I went to go see it on my own and it was I was blown away. Yeah, it's great. Oh yeah, I'd love to I'd love to see you to do the score live watching the film. That would be amazing. How did you kind of make that shift into adding composing into, you know, the list of jobs that you have kind of thing? What was the first step for you? And has it been something that you'd always wanted to do anyway? You'd always been interested in? Yeah, it has. I, you know, I, I, I grew up loving film, you know, loving films, obviously, and loving film music. I remember Edward Scissorhands was the first score that I heard. That I was like, I, I was aware that there was a, somebody that, that did that for a living, that wrote music, or that there was a job because that music was just like reached out of the screen and grabbed you you know it was so just unapologetically romantic and haunting and yeah so I still think it's the greatest you know that score
I got obsessed with like the Godfather and all those great Nina Rota melodies. And I was kind of a dorky kid, like learning this stuff on the our piano at home. And then I, I studied film scoring in school and studied classical composition. But then I left school and just played in bands for all my 20s and would score films between tours and for like friends that made short films and things like this and indie films. And then uh, one of my friends, a guy named Terrence Nance, is a brilliant filmmaker and composer. Rhonda Marks of Flyness, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So I, I, I'd done music for that alongside four other great composers. And that happened right as I was moving to Los Angeles. So from there, I got in touch with, that's how I, that's how I got um, my foot in the door with Plan B and A24. And then I've been working with those two companies ever since. I love that idea that you kind of listen to that Danny Elfman score and you're kind of like, wow, that's a job. And then the reality of of having it as, a, as part of a job now, is it what you expected it would be? It's a good question. It's hard to answer. I feel like in some ways it's, it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's surpassed my expectation of what it would be. You know, you don't know. It's what's so cool about this job is that it's, uh, it's constantly changing because you're working with different filmmakers, you know, and every every filmmaker is, is is its own animal, and every film is its own animal. So you have to, it's there's it's like the never dull moment that Rod Stewart records. <laughs> and you, have, you have like never, it's never the same twice, and you just, you know, the 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 most magical part of it, you know, because I, I my dream too is to, you know, I sing and play and perform, and I and I and I'm doing both of those things it was an adjustment going from primarily being on tour and performing live to primarily working with filmmakers and scoring films. I realized in it that a lot of it is very similar, like the, the, the social aspects of it, the collaborative spirit of it. When you meet a director and you get together and you listen to music and you talk about music and life and art and these things. And then, and at the end, when you record the orchestra and you record musicians, those are both very collaborative, like spiritually rich experiences in the middle there is when you're kind of like isolated in or I'm in this room by myself for 10 hours a day writing music or, or conforming and bouncing stems or editing revisions these types of things that that feel like work you know yeah but and that and that's the trick is trying to really try to trick yourself into not realizing that it's work so it never feels like a job you're doing the thing that you want to do that you want to be doing not the thing that you are supposed to be doing yeah yeah i am um, the young actor uh is it alan kim who plays david yeah yeah yeah. can we just have a david film as well because i know he's amazing oh that 
when he the way he puts his little cowboy boots on before he kind of it's just there's just so many beautiful little mannerisms and facial expressions I mean the acting chops in this young man is his instinctive nature as an actor at that young age is extraordinary to watch it's so it's so brilliant I agree I agree yeah he he was giving us gold you know <laughs> watching all the takes and, and there's so much amazing footage of him that didn't make it into the film as well you know there's some of my favorite things are the smallest things there's one moment where he pours himself some Mountain Dew and he's like my favorite my favorite he just says it quietly he just says it quietly <laughs> to himself um but such a child like he didn't feel the camera you know what I mean he was really dynamic and did so much and there's a depth to his performance but you also feel like you're just seeing a little boy be himself in his home it's funny how you like you know, on social media, I like he we interact, but it's, it's his mother that's running you know, the account. Yeah. And then I, I saw him last uh, not, not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago at like um, a 24, like press junket thing. And yeah, I saw him and, and I was like, Alan, you know, like because we into we've entered. And then I realized, oh, he doesn't know who I am. It was heartbreaking. <laughs> It was like, it was on me. like I, knew, I knew all along it was his mother, but it's weird that way that like, you know, if he likes my picture and I, you know, and he posts something and comments on something, you know, hearts and plant emojis, you know, it's like, oh, this is like, I feel like you know somebody. And then it, it kind of broke my heart when I saw him. Like he had no idea. <laughs> yeah. The performances across the board in this film are are so so brilliant as well um and and will Patton as well oh my god oh, that, yeah, yeah it's, it's a really fascinating role and just the way he plays it i think yeah it's so great i'm so happy as well for the, all the recognition the film's getting deservedly so both in terms of the film and your score you must be thrilled yeah i am it's so nice to see how people are connecting to it and um that people are listening to it and that it, that it's uh it's reaching people. It's it's really that's a gift, you know. So I'm really grateful for that. Potentially having to perform it at the Oscars in some way as well. Oh yeah, in right. Whatever way, shape, or form that's <laughs> going to be. I have everything crossed for you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'll let them know that I'm available. I, you know. <laughs> um, do you know what's next? Have you are you working on the next project? Because kind of what's really heartwarming to hear is that you know productions are up and running they these they've amazingly you know been able to to set up their own you know safe sets and things that there's not going to be this void of no new films or no new projects for us to watch as film fans so yeah I have a couple projects that I'm I'm working on I'm working on mainly my own record and then another record I'm making with this um, artist I love uh, named Caitlin Aurelia Smith. And then um, I'm working on a film on the film side. I'm working um, on a film that Jesse Eisenberg is writing and directing. For oh, Atari. wow. Yeah. And uh, that they're shooting that right now. And I've been writing songs and score for it. Oh, wow. Oh, I look forward to that. Maybe we can do another version, one of these as well when you when that comes out. It sounds like there's going to be loads to talk about about that. I love the idea of you bringing those two worlds of yours together as well, you know, in terms of as a performer writing songs and then the score as well. It's so great. As you kind of did in this to a point, but, but yeah. yeah. This is further in that direction as far as like blurring a line between song and score and, mm. and having, yeah, which is really exciting for me as a songwriter, you know, 
Um, but yeah, I would love that. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. about it coming together and um, yeah, one day at a time. Yeah. And um, thanks so much for your time. It really, really appreciate getting to to talk to you about your your beautiful score for this film. And um, and I hope one day we do get to see you play it live at the Barbican with the film shown in the background. That would be amazing. That'd be so great. I would love that. Or anywhere. Yeah. Yes. A tour of the world of the film and the score played live would be would be a great thing. Amazing. Yeah. One of these days. One of these. <laughs> yeah. Cautiously optimistic. You know, yeah. Um, Emil, take care. Thank you so much for your time. It's great to chat to you. Stay safe and I hope to see you in person at some point in the future. Thank you so much. Likewise. What a treat. Thanks so much. From his Oscar and BAFTA-nominated score for Minari, that's You'll Be Happy. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with a fabulous Emil Mossari. My huge thanks to Emil for taking the time to talk to us. Minari is available to watch now via the Altitude Film website. Head to altitudefilment.com. That's Altitude filment.com with 50% of revenues being shared with a variety of independent cinemas around the UK so as well as watching a fantastic film you are doing your bit to keep the industry those cogs turning head to edithbowman.com to find a Spotify playlist for the show and to catch up with all of our previous episodes including a soundtracking live with none other than Tim Burton Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do subscribe to not only our podcast, but also our YouTube channel for a regular show I put together as an accompaniment to this podcast. Next up, I'm delighted to say that Riz Ahmed joins us once again on the podcast to talk about his new film, Sound of Metal. And Riz is joined by the director, Darius Marder, and Darius's brother, who not only co-wrote it with Darius, but he also did the music. So Riz, Darius and Abe join me to discuss their extraordinary new film, Sound of Metal. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.